You want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. Hello and welcome to the My Free Film Podcast with me, your host, Gav Smith. This week, a returning guest, Dr. Vincent Gain, who was last with us talking on the Halloween special episode we did back in October. This week, he's talking about his favourite film, which is Heat, the Michael Mann film starring Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. So, I won't waste any more of your time. Let's just get on to the chat with Dr. Vincent Gain talking about Heat. He's here. I can feel it. search for the scent of your prey and then you hunt them down that's the only thing you're committed to it keeps me sharp on the edge where i gotta be hello vincent how are you doing how's things in the big world for you how are things in the big world for me vincent gain l-u-s-d that's who i am but i don't always talk like that uh, perhaps when i'm being yeah, when I'm being perhaps a little bit less, you know, performative, um, yes. you can make you can call me uh, Doctor Vincent Gain. I am a lecturer in media studies at Lancaster University. Um, I have a PhD in film and television studies, wow. and I wrote my doctoral thesis and subsequently published a book called Existentialism and Social Engagement in the Films of Michael Mann. I am also a uh, film critic and um, journalist as well as a podcaster in my own right. So I watch film, I talk film, I read film. Um, Occasionally I even teach about it, although it's a bit broader than that. But uh, yes, that's uh, why I'm here. And uh, well, why I'm here to talk about the film I'm here to talk about. Yes, I was going to say that the fact that your thesis is on Michael Mann probably says why this is one of your favourite films. Um, You have chosen the 1995 i'm gonna say classic just because i think that'll appease lots of people out there my command film heat um okay i'm gonna ask you very quickly because uh it's probably the easiest way to start can you give us a quick plot synopsis of heat so people understand what heat is all about obviously spoilers are welcome just go for it heat is a crime drama in, in which a dedicated uh, Los Angeles uh, police detective hunts for a um, uh, to, uh, hunts for a committed uh, professional thief. Both men have teams around them, and uh, it largely follows the police officer's hunt for the thief. But along the way, um, their lives and the lives of those around them intersect through um, a variety um, of uh, of connections. Fair enough. Yeah, that sounds like a, a, a good synopsis of it. Um, okay, this is the, the question that I guess is the loaded question. Why is this your favourite film then? Heat is my favourite film for um, a variety of reasons. Probably the most important one is that it, it quite literally changed my life, although I didn't know it at the time. Um on a slightly less um, detailed level, I'll come back to that, but <laughs> it's uh, the reason that I loved it the first time I saw it, and I have loved it every time I have watched it since, which is more times than I can remember, um, 
Heat is a film where every element of the cinematic medium is perfectly harmonized with every other element from plotting to to scripting to performance to editing to cinematography to production design to location shooting to sound all to to music all wrapped up together in utterly sublime direction this is where you can see everything that film can do I remember seeing an interview some years ago with William Friedkin, the director of The French Connection yeah. um, and The Exorcist, yeah. um, who's, you know, the, the French Connection certainly, I would say, is an influence on Heat. Um, and Definitely, Friedkin was yeah. saying, yeah, Friedkin was saying when he um, saw Citizen Kane, um, it showed him what one could do with film, the multitude of different elements that go into the cinematic form. Yeah. And for me, Heat was much the same. Seeing Heat um, at the age of 17, as I was at the time, um, it just showed me this is this was more film, more movie than I had ever truly appreciated before. And the experience of watching Heat that first time, um, I always liken it to being x-rayed. It felt as though this sort of wave of energy had passed through me. And um, it turned out it had a very profound effect. And every time I have gone back to the film, it uh, still works for me, no matter how many times I see it. I yeah. still recognize all of this um, extraordinary um, cinematic quality. And I keep finding something new. For me, the definition of a movie that I absolutely love, a film that I uh, will count as one of my favorites, it's one that I have to watch multiple times yep. and still get something new out of it each time. Yep. So that's why it's my favourite film. Fair enough. That's, that's really nicely put. You've obviously got a huge passion for this film. Now, we were talking before we started recording that I, I don't really like this film, I have to be honest. And I'm sure there's probably loads of people out there that are going to be going, how can you not like this film? Um, but as, as I said, I, I've seen it, I think, five times. Um, once just recently for this show. So I did re-watch it again for this. Um, but I just, I don't know. I I personally, maybe it's just me, I, I don't really get it. I don't see why it is. it gets all the hype that it does. I mean, it's original hype. I, see, I remember it coming out. And I know the original hype when it came out was it's De Niro and Pacino on screen for the first time in a scene together, um, which I believe is... 10 minutes of its 2 hour 19 running time that yep. they're on screen for in two separate scenes so mm -hmm. it's not really all of that De Niro and Pacino together on screen um, I think it's the second film they actually made together but only the first time they're actually on screen they're both okay. obviously in Godfather 2 um, was that draw of Pacino and De Niro being together on screen anything for you or was that not anything that you even thought about um, I did think about it because, you know, seeing the film's marketing, it was hard to, you, yeah. know, you couldn't ignore it. No. Um, yeah, absolutely. That's what the film was largely being sold on, which is something we can come back to because I, I have issues with that. <laughs> Good. Um, <laughs> uh, but then again, that's that's marketing. That's yes. not the film itself. No, it's not. Um, so at the time, I wasn't um, the film buff that I am now, or anything like the um, film buff I would become just a few years later. So 
I I don't think I'd seen much previously with either right. of those particular actors. Yeah. If there was an actor in there I was more familiar with, um, it was probably Val Kilmer because yeah. not long prior I'd been I, I very much enjoyed Batman Forever. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to see, oh, there's Val Kilmer. I liked him as Batman. That's cool. Yeah. And yeah, these other two guys, I've certainly heard of them. Yeah. Uh, maybe I might have seen the some of uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yeah. With right. uh, Robert De Niro as um, as a creature. Oh, and I had definitely seen Dick Tracy. <laughs> 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 where, um, yeah, where Al Pacino is in a lot of very old makeup. Yes. Um, <laughs> so I wouldn't consider myself particularly a fan of them at the time. However, the mm. marketing did also mention a Michael Mann film. Yeah. And I had previously seen on videotape The Last of the Mohicans. Yep. And what's interesting is I saw The Last of the Mohicans um, on a videotape and it was uh, when I, I mean, I would have been maybe 14, 15 at the time. And it was one of those situations where the grown-ups are having a party and they put the kids upstairs with the video. <laughs> so my brother and I had picked The Last of the Mohicans from the video yeah. shop. Remember those? I do, yeah. And <laughs> we had the film on, and we had for some, we, but we had to have it very quiet. And even though we had to strain to hear it, I do remember the film, The Last of the Mohicans, being quite powerful. Yeah. I remember I liked it. But um, at the time, I wouldn't be able to articulate why. On reflection, yep. I think it must have been because it is a visually very engaging, very beautiful, very sweeping film. Yep. And I think on a subconscious level, I sort of, because I pick up on names, I understood, right, well, that was Michael Mann. Oh, here's another film but directed by Michael Mann. So yep. that sounds useful. And I enjoyed action films. I enjoyed crime films. And, you know, Heat was clearly offering those things. So that's yep. why I was quite keen to see it but i had no idea that seeing it would prove to be so significant for me yeah okay um so when did you see it in 95 then when it was released did you see it at the cinema was it a... actually in in britain it came out slightly later yeah, it came out in it... january 96 yeah um and i did see it in the cinema i saw it i think it was it would have been late february right um i went with my mum and nice. um we both yeah and uh but right from the start, I, I guess I was aware that it was something that affected me, but wouldn't necessarily impact others. Because yeah. we came out of the cinema and she seemed to think, yes, yes, that that, that was quite good. And I was <laughs> like, ah, 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 probably looking like some people did in uh, 1968 and 69 coming out of 2001 A Space Odyssey yeah. or yeah. 77 coming out of Star Wars. Yeah. Um, and she didn't quite get why it was a big deal for me and perhaps you know even i don't necessarily know why it's a big deal beyond it was something that resonated with me right. michael mann in interviews often talks about harmonics yeah um, the harmonics of what he's putting on screen and i think this film and i had a very had a perfect harmonization right um i mentioned earlier that it quite literally changed the course of my life though i yep. didn't know it at the time um as a result of um uh, seeing Heat, I started look, um, engaging with films more critically yeah. um, and um, it influenced partially my the university I went to. I didn't go to university to do film studies, but partway through my undergraduate degree in American studies and English literature, I decided I wanted an academic career and I wanted to um, it to be in film studies. So I, for that, I knew I needed to do a master's. I knew I needed to do a PhD. 
and thus I decided I was going to do my PhD on Michael Mann. Right, fair enough. And so, then, so that which I started that PhD in two thousand two, and yeah. it was actually only earlier this year, twenty twenty two, when I got my first full permanent job in higher education. Right. So, yeah, literally twenty six years since I decided on well, since that instigating event um, has got me to where I am now, and it always make reminds me of. Um, a moment in another man film, Collateral, right. when um, a, a character played uh, called David, who's a jazz musician, played by Barry Shabaka Henley. Um, he says that he was he meant gives the year he was born. And then he says the moment of his conception when he you know got uh, some advice from Miles Davis. And I think I was born in 1979, but that moment in 1996 was. The uh, conception, if you will, of who I am now. Right. Okay. So it's not just your favorite film. This is a film that has really resonated with you through, I guess, your your career and has created your career almost to a yes. certain extent. Michael Mann obviously is obviously this this key element for you. Then is this this is your favorite film of his? Yes. How would you look at the rest of his career and his other films? Do does your love of heat make you go? I must now watch every Michael Mann film. So anything he brings out, that's I'm there. Well, I was I did my PhD on Michael yeah, of Mann, course, so I yeah. had to watch everything. He yeah, did. of course. Yeah. Um. So during the course of that, I I went back and I watched his um TV film, The Jericho Mile. Yeah. Thief. Um. With the late great James Khan. Um. The Keep, which I'll come back to. Um. Manhunter. Um, yeah. The first Hannibal Lecter adaptation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Last of the Mohicans, I mentioned. Um, and I'm going through in chronological order here. Although Heat <laughs> is my personal favourite, yeah. I do make a distinction between the films I enjoy and the films I admire. Right. And there is a man film that I think is even more impressive than Heat, uh, which is The Insider. Right. Um, I find The Insider incredible because it is a film that shouldn't be as dramatic and as compelling as it is. Right. It is a story of a bunch of guys in suits arguing in hushed tones. <laughs> and yet it's Shakespearean um, and um, Hitchcockian all at once. Um, that said, if you ask me, would I do I enjoy, would I rather put on Heat or The Insider, I would go for Heat. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then came uh, Ali, which is a very yeah. weird film, but I think a very, very interesting one. Yeah. Um, and then Collateral, the Miami Vice, which make for a lovely um, double bill, I think. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Public Enemies, fascinatingly, Public Enemies came out in 2009, the year, sorry, not just the year, the week that I graduated in my doctorate. <laughs> so it was very fitting to see that, to go and see Public Enemies um, in the week I graduated. Yeah. Um, with, in, funnily enough, with my partner, um, but also with my mum. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, full circle, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. yeah. That's her reasoning being, oh, yeah, I like Johnny Depp. <laughs> Does anybody like Johnny Depp these days? Who knows? Um, well, don't know. And, yeah. And then, of course, after that, a few years, some years later, came Black Hat. Yeah. Um, which I, you know, I made a very, I made a point of seeing. And what's interesting is Black Hat had a very limited release. Yeah. Um, I was, um, I lived in Norwich at the time. And the only, and Black Hat was showing at one cinema, one showing. Wow. for one week um, wow. sorry, one showing a day yeah. for over the course of a week and i did go to one of those showings and i think there were like 
or other people in the auditorium, <laughs> all men by themselves. So that tells you something. <laughs> um, and but I love, but I, and I think that Black Hat is an interesting one because I think Black Hat is magnificent. I actually think it's um, one of uh, man's best films. Uh, but I know that is not a popular opinion. Mm. Um, I have I haven't seen it as praised by others. But I think because of my own background, my perception, I yeah. go in looking for particular things. Yeah. Um, and I get and and you know, I'll return to William Friedkin, who would say the best films give to us what we bring to them. Right. I brought to Black Hat a certain understanding. Yeah. And I think I got more out of it than I would have had otherwise. And yeah. I now eagerly anticipate um man's next film, which I mean, Black Hat was 2015, and so it's been seven years since yeah, the yeah. last film. I think the current um, Hollywood production models don't fit with him. That's yeah. why it, you know, he has done a TV series recently, Tokyo Vice, which I'm yeah. yet to watch, but I will be. Um, but yeah, now Man's making a film about um, Ferrari. Oh, right. Didn't realize yeah. that. That's his next one, is it? Yep. Yep. Right. That's right. Um, uh, starring Adam Driver. Right. I just hope isn't going to have to do some silly Italian accent like he did in House of Gucci. <laughs> yeah. But then again, I'm, there's no Jared Leto, so I'm sure it'd be okay. This is true. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, Michael Mann, he's, he's done a lot of very, very different films. I mean, this is a very much, uh, well, it's based on a true story, isn't it? It's his own writing Inspired based on true story. Well, kind a true of. Story. There's some truth behind elements of it, or it's inspired by as you say, this true Indeed. story. He does move around genres a lot. So what is it about his, the way he puts things on film that really inspires you to love that? I mean, you said about harmonics and how the way he does things speaks to you. Why would you get anyone to watch a Michael Mann film? How would you sell any Michael Mann film? You've got to watch him because... Okay. Well, um, I would... I was going to say, let's... I mean, if I was going to introduce, if I was going to show someone a Michael Mann film who'd never seen one before, I probably would go for Heat yeah. because um, it's, I think it's the perfect um, encapsulation um, of all of his interests as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, what it shows is, um, the way I would pitch it is, this is about people in their environment. Right. Um, and in particular, this is about very driven people in an environment that is very pressured. So yep. what we have across, I think, all of man's work is a very much a sense of it is commitment clashing with contingency. Um, it's a matter of here we have, let's be honest, men. It's always male protagonists who are absolutely committed to who they are, to what they do. Yep. Um, and I think personally that you know resonates with me very much because I consider myself very dedicated to what I do. I mean, hello, <laughs> I decided <laughs> uh, it took me over 20 years to get my, uh, to the professional position I am in now. Yeah, and believe yeah. me, there were a lot of setbacks, <laughs> but I never really deviated from that. Maybe yeah. that's a psychological disorder. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but That's a different podcast, I'm sure. That's a different <laughs> podcast. But, if, but even if it is that, the point is that's that's me and thus what I see in the, the Michael Mann protagonist, the man-man, is... <laughs> um, yeah, it's a phrase I use, but I didn't invent it. I cannot take credit for that um what i see in that is something that yeah i get that i understand why taking heat as an example why um al pacino's character vincent hannah and robert de niro's character neil mccauley i 
get why they are so driven, why they are so absolute laser focused. Yeah. And if we look across Man's Oeuvre, if you look at Will Graham in Manhunter, much the same. If you look at Frank in Thief, if you look at Hawkeye in The Last of the Mohicans, yeah. um, if you look at Vincent in Collateral, um, these are men absolutely um, focused and committed on what they do. And Heat offers a kind of an explanation for that in yeah. the famous coffee shop scene between the two of them. There's the interchange. Um, it's that, that we both better go through something else, pal. I don't know how to do anything else. Neither do I. Not much want to either. Neither do I. And I don't want to do anything other than what I do. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so I would say that's, I mean, that's the, but, but having said that, although you've always got these incredibly driven men, the worlds in which they live are constantly telling them, no, you can't do this. Every obstacle will come in their way. Um, but also, I think this is what gives them a particular dramatic richness and depth, is that it's also pointing out there are problems with doing this. Um, the, you know, if you're going to be this committed, this um, driven in what you do, it's going to have consequences. Um, Heat um, has, a, uh, there's a point where uh, Vincent Hanna describes that he describes his um, own life as a disaster zone, right? Because he's um, got he's on his he's on his third marriage, which is gonna which is go which is you know on the, uh, going downhill rapidly. Yeah, um, yeah, and he yeah, and funnily enough, he messes up that marriage as well. <laughs> um, yeah, so yes, disaster zone is about right. Yeah, and similarly, um, Neil Macaulay's life is. Um, very empty. He is a very sparse, um, Spartan individual. It's brilliant um, when we see uh, Macaulay come home. He has this beachfront Malibu property. Yeah. Um, it's a beautiful looking um, um, apartment. It's got this fantastic sea view and there's no furniture. Yeah. But does he even <laughs> sleep here? <Yeah. laughs> he comes Just... back and yeah, it's, he's been out. He comes back and um, Val Kilmer, Chris Chaherlis is there sleeping on the floor yeah. with a cushion. And it's like, yeah. what? Oh, he does. Oh, okay. He does have a coffee maker because you know can't can't well, do without coffee. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Can't live without. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I somehow doubt he cooks. No, <laughs> takeaways um, all the way. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, but there's another interesting thing because something else that um, this is another reason why Heat is such a rich film. It ties into so many other aspects of um, contemporary life. Yeah. Um, because there's a strong class element. Um, there's a hilarious line in Heat when Danny Trejo's character says that there are cops following him. And they are on him like a cheap suit. Well, they might be on him like a cheap suit, but no one in this movie is wearing a cheap no, suit. Definitely um, not. Definitely not. There's a there's like um, some films from the 1940s and 50s would refer to groups of cops as the Hat Squad. Yeah. Um, well, in Heat, I think um, Vincent Hanna's team are the Armani. Uh, yes. Squad. Yes. Everyone definitely. looks. Everyone's very nicely dressed, and everyone eats very well. You know, we, we although do. we don't see them cooking, we do see them um, in nice restaurants. There's a scene where um, Macaulay is there with his crew. Chris Chaherlis, um, my, uh, uh, Michael Chirito, played by Tom Sizemore, Treo, played by Danny Ch Treo, and their respective um, wives, and in one case, even children. Um, and they're in a very nice restaurant. They could be. Bunch of lawyers, bunch of accountants, yeah. Bunch yeah. Of doctors, high-level criminals. You know, yeah, they are. They are living the life. 
and, definitely yeah yeah and that is an important aspect of heat which uh which we'll come back to yeah i mean that i suppose that class element and the characters they portrays in most films other than maybe that's the mohicans where you haven't got that as much it's something they do have a lot he has he generally has people who are i don't know that armani brigade i suppose his main characters and protagonists are very often that type aren't they Michael Mann films is that um, what makes his films the way they are? Or? Well, I think it's interesting because what um, the what, what the various characters in man films tend to be, they are doing a conspicuous display of wealth and of capital. But I think they're doing it, but it's not in a way that is, but it's not presented unproblematically in the same yeah. way, I think, that the type of masculinity on display is not presented um, unproblematically. Yeah. Um, there is a one of the analyses of crime film, crime cinema, uh, which is, this is going back a long way, um, is describes that um, crime cinema, American crime cinema, is very much about class because what we have in the figure of the American criminal, I mean, go right back to the 1930s and, yeah. J- and James Cagney's The Public yeah. Enemy or um, to Howard Hawks's Scarface. Yeah. Um, and what you have here are... Um, men who are making the, their own version of the American dream. Yeah, and they often come from quite humble beginnings. They, um, you know, they mm. may literally be kind of street people, and the American uh, ideals of American capitalism, of consumerism, of being able to, with life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, you can build your own great life. And it's shown it hasn't really worked that way yeah. um, for these people. They have not. They've certainly never been not been handed anything. They have built. They have built something, but they have built it outside the paradigm of law, and that yeah. feeds into, I think, uh, Man's films. His first film, The Jericho Mile, was um, set in a prison, and yeah. then um, with Thief, you've got somebody who is an ex-con, and he's come out of prison. It you know comes to an entirely fresh start, and that fresh start for him is well, this is before the events of the film, but it involves thievery, it involves. Yeah. breaking in involves stealing money and uh, jewels um and he had and james khan's character frank has these sort of trappings mm. um and the symbols of wealth and of being a successful capitalist yeah um he tries to show off at some point he chains he wears this perfect d floor carrot ring um he chains as he says at one point i change cars like other men change their fucking shoes <laughs> um and it's all about these sort of displays of wealth as a way of literally buying one's way into um, a certain echelon um, of society this is what it takes to be a success and then what's interesting in that film um, is that at the end of it he's destroyed it all he literally blows up his businesses and walks off into the night and Neil Macaulay De Niro's character in Heat is very much I think a descendant of Frank from Thief um, because he's, I mean, he could be Frank, you know, some years later, yeah. um, who has a life which is, um, you know, to use to quote the famous line, you want to be making moves on the street, have no attachments, allow nothing to be in your life that you cannot walk out on in 30 seconds flat if you spot the heat around the corner. And that's what he has. He has yeah. nothing in his life that he can't just... Just walk away um, from drop yeah. the, the you can just leave behind at the drop of a hat. Yeah. Um and 
despite that, he still has these sort of trappings, um, except they're not presented as trappings. They're sort of just symbols, if you like, of wealth. He has this quite yeah. nice suit. He yeah. has a decent car. He has yeah. his nice apartment. He can eat at whatever restaurants. But most importantly, he does what he wants to do. Yeah. Um, and I think that, um, and and in the, in the way that it's a, um, it's a cl- kind of a classic genre piece in terms of what is the professional thief doing? He's always setting things up for that one final score. Yeah. And that's uh, what we see in Heat that Macaulay is aiming for this final score. Um, but, and that is itself the symbol of um, wealth because we see three robberies over the course of the yeah. film. Yeah. Um, the central, the, the the major one comes in the middle, where which then spills into this incredible gun battle. Yeah. Um, that was, you know, four guys walking out of a bank with over $12 million in cash. Yeah. I mean, if you could walk into a bank and walk out with 12 million and all you had to do was, you know, wave a gun around and punch a few people. Yeah. Then in a way that is fulfilling. That's something of a capitalist dream. Probably. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, So I think, and what's interesting is that that's the way it's presented, but there are, but Funnily enough, there are contingencies. There are problems. In this case, oh, the police turn up. Yeah. Um, and so that's, I think, a that's one of the tensions, one of the sociological tensions that um, Heat is presenting and is playing out, and not necessarily with any great originality. I mean, this yeah. sort of idea has been used many times before. Yeah, Tell yeah. you what, if anyone listening wants to check out some really, uh, a, a sort of a very nascent um, seminal film that does this kind of thing, then I recommend the Asphalt Jungle um, from right, okay. uh, 1950, certainly the 1950s. I think right. it's 1950, um, which is uh, was sort of one of the first, well, not so first, but um, a particularly establishing film in the heist genre. Right. And you can see the influence of that on something like Thief, so um, on Thief and Heat, um, and you know later films like Ocean's Eleven and Inception. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, so Heat is not doing anything particularly original. No. But no. it's taking these tried and tested genre elements yeah. and doing them, ex- and they delivered with exceptional execution. And also, I think, given a lot of extra weight and extra resonance yeah. around that genre. Yeah. No, my life's a disaster zone because I spend all my time chasing guys like you around the block. I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best, trying to stop guys like me. And we're halfway through the podcast, which means it's time to do the advertising bit. If you're enjoying the podcast, hop on over to Apple Podcasts or Good Pods and leave us a five-star rating and review. You can also leave those five-star ratings on Spotify. It is those five-star ratings and reviews that help the podcast get found by other people. Brilliant. If you want to get in touch with me here at the podcast, the best way is to myfavoritefilmpodcast at gmail.com. You can send me an email there and, you know, just get in touch, tell me what's going on. Or you can spot us on all the uh, social medias. So Twitter, it's at myfavoritefilm. Instagram, it's at myfavoritefilmpodcast. Facebook, just search myfavoritefilm. And all of those links you can find by going to the website, which is www.myfavoritefilm.com. Let's get back to the talk with Vincent about heat. If you're a fugitive number one with a bullet, it's double the risk here. You're wrong. It's four times the risk, and I'm double the worst trouble you ever had. Now, what I was saying there is that we've got a genre piece, but it's given this kind of extra context, extra weight. 
Um, and while Heat follows the um, out follows the genre of the crime thriller, because um, you know I talked about the whole sort of uh, the class history, the um, elements of in, of how it uh, its particular portrayal of capitalism, um, and then you've also got the um, you know, the detective story again, just as old as the crime story, if not older, yeah. um, of the. Uh, <clears throat> Of the, the dogged detective who is just totally committed to what he does um and is you know very good at what he does and um if um neil in heat is a descendant of frank in thief then vincent in heat is a descendant of will graham in manhunter you know the absolute dogged detective who pushes yeah, others yeah, away yeah. from him um will graham ends up having a somewhat happier ending than vincent hannah it must be said yeah um so you've got immediately you have it's not one genre narrative it's two coming together but the context in which they come together i think makes this i wouldn't say it's as much a crime thriller as you know some of man's other stuff like manhunter and collateral yeah this is more like a late this is a late 20th century urban network narrative now in a previous episode, you spoke with my fellow um, uh, member of Invasion of the Poddy People, yeah. um, James Rodriguez, yes. who spoke about Magnolia. Yeah. Magnolia is also a Los Angeles set late 20th century urban network narrative. Yep. And a few years later, after Magnolia, because Heat was 95, Magnolia 99, and in 2005 yep. came Crash, which yep. would go on to win Best Picture, controversially, yep. but whatever it did win um and crash is another network narrative where you have multiple storylines that connect and disconnect and then come back together mm. now, and i think that heat has more in common with magnolia and crash than it does with um something like uh, the french connection yeah. or to live and die in la um it is it is a crime thriller but it is also i think a sociological examination of people living together in the kind of the epitome of late 20th century um transient urban lifestyle that yeah. is los angeles you, um, it's the yeah do you think some of that well the network storyline that you're talking about there the fact that there are multiple storylines in it does that come from the fact that i mean it was originally developed as a TV series. The Heat was going to be a TV series. I think it was LA Takedown, it was called. And it, they did a pilot for it, and then it was never became it. But well, it was adapted um, from that TV series. Kind of. I mean, yeah, LA Takedown uh, yeah, was a TV movie that is literally 50% of Heat. Yeah. Um, and yes, it, was, it became a TV movie. It was going to be the pilot for a TV series called Hannah. Yeah. Um, but... While the TV series does obviously allow for the greater sort of, um, you know, uh, breadth, um, more sort of detail and so on. Yeah. Um, if you look at the, um, if you look at Michael Mann's TV series, I mean, he's best known perhaps for Miami Vice. Yeah. Um, yeah. Although to be fair, although he was the executive producer of Miami Vice, he didn't create it. Yeah. But he did create an, and run another series called Crime Story, um, yeah. which is... Uh, very closely based on um, was actually made with Chuck Adamson, who is the um, inspiration for 
um, Vincent Hanna and had in the 1960s actually killed the real Neil Macaulay. Yeah. That's the true event that inspired Heat. Yeah. Um, and Crime Story, I think, does have do more of um, that sort of sociological detail. However, it also goes more into kind of um, criminal networks. You have the criminal characters of Crime Story. You see them being part of a, of a mob, part of the of a syndicate, that kind of thing. So, you know, echoing things like The Godfather. Yeah. Um, what's interesting about Heat, I think, which makes it distinct from that, um, and perhaps, yes, I think it, Heat may have laid the groundwork for later t- uh, TV to yeah. go down there, something like The Wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, see that. Instance. Yeah, because, I mean, The Wire is about as you know, sociologically embedded as you can get. Or, I tell you what, TV series um, from, um, that's come over just in the, in the streaming series of the past decade, Bosch. Yes. Um, Bo- yeah. yeah, Bosch feels to me very much like um, a, a heat um, TV series some years after the events. And it's worth noting, one of the executive producers of Heat is the executive producer on Bosch. Oh, right, so okay. there yeah. is actually a connection. There's a link there, yeah. 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 But even... Purely looking at the films, um, so much of what man did in Heat, he kind of had tried out already in Thief. Because yeah. although Thief is a much narrower, more focused story, there are references and elements to the um, wider um, social, economic, political structures yeah. um, that are uh, that the that our central character is a part of. Yeah, and notably, I think we don't get much. Uh, Heat wouldn't it wouldn't act, it would not be accurate to describe Heat as a mob movie because yeah. we don't get to see the mob like we do in um, Goodfellas or um, The Godfather. We true, only true. see these four th- th- these four central criminals, this one crew, and they have a connection um, to wider criminal networks. Um, Nate, played by John Voigt, um, yeah. he is the connection, as it were, to organized crime um, and. Macaulay's crew, they are this very small part of a connection to that. And of course, connections can always be abandoned in 30 seconds flat. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the police who are, of course, you know, they're, they're, they're the police. They're legitimate. Um, they are part They are part of the uh, machinery of the state. Um, and they, and although, you know, Vincent Hanna is something of a reckless cop and it's been since clarified that the idea was that he would actually be the character was actually high. He was chipping cocaine. Um, right. Though we don't see it on film, that was something Al Pacino used to inform his performance. Right, okay. And in subsequent interviews, he has confirmed that, yeah, yeah, he was playing the guy as high. Yeah. Um, despite that, they still very much operate within the letter of the law. Yeah. Um, and the point when, uh, there's a point when, um, it's a very tense sequence when the crew are breaking into a precious metals depository. Yeah. Um, and Macaulay becomes aware that the police are watching them or that yep. something is wrong. He says, yep. "No, no, we call it off. We're leaving." And um, Vincent Hanna is like, "No, we're not going to arrest them on breaking and entering. Um, they'll be out in six months. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, we're not doing that." Um, so the contingencies, the guidelines, the the rules that they have to operate in are there. Yeah. And I think that's what makes Heat this um, social drama more than crime thriller. Yes, yeah, I can see that, yeah. half the characters in it, because although everyone in it is touched by crime, yeah. not everyone is a criminal. Yes. They're simply affected by it. And so that's why I say it is this 
sociological examination of the way people are affected by crime. And you've got the direct influences, like obviously, you know, you have the incredible gun battle yeah. And quite and a number of people are killed during that. Yeah. Um, but then you have the um there was the collateral damage. Um, so Vincent leaves his wife, Justine, when he catches her having an affair. And by catches, I mean he walks in on them because she was not trying to hide it nope. in the slightest. Um and he says, Right, yeah, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. And then he finds his stepdaughter. Is Justine's daughter Lauren, played by Natalie Portman. Yeah, this yep. was her second role after Leon. Yeah. Um, he finds her in his hotel room bathtub where she's attempted suicide. Yep. That's a you know she has no direct connection to the criminal events, but no. she's been affected nonetheless. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean that the sequence when Vincent is trying to um, to help Lauren get her out of the tub, cover up her tie up her wounds and so put on tourniquets it is you know it is heartbreaking yeah it is. Um, and it's yeah. like that that did not need to happen no but it's a, but in, including that i think helps give um us the viewer a sense of why of just how far-reaching all of this is yeah yeah, yeah. And that every what everybody is connected and again setting this in los angeles allows for um, a recurring sense of this connection and yet transience because everyone's moving. We spend yeah. very little time in homes and a lot more time um, in cars on the yeah, roads. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot in cars, isn't there? Yeah, on the street, basically. Yeah, yeah. A street picture. Yeah, we've covered an awful lot there of of, of the ground. Um, let's kind of take it back a little bit to the cast. So let's talk about this. Cast of characters, because it is, it's a it's an amazing cast. You've mentioned a lot of the names already, and there's some people in this that are just amazing actors. And who is your favorite performance within this? Is that possible to choose a favorite performance? You know, it's a funny thing. Um I often hear people assess movies on the basis of performances. Yeah. And I always think that's really weird. Um, it's like, a little bit, yeah. But <laughs> um, somebody says, "Oh, that film is so great because of so and so," and I'm like, yeah. "Huh? What about everything else?" Yeah. So the, I do find it difficult to pick out any particular performance or indeed any particular aspect of Heat or you know most films because I tend to like, sort of absorb them um, on a holistic yeah. level. I, I'm taking it all in, and as a result, if there's something off, it tends to really annoy me. Um, However, um, so I won't, I don't know if I can pick out one individual, but I will pick out bits. Um, I suppose in terms of character, it would probably be Vincent Hanna. Um, I uh, I mean, you know, (laughs) obviously there's a name connection, Um, but it's... (laughs) That's not um, the only reason, surely. (laughs) No, there's there's another reason behind it, but no, it's because um, that's the guy who I, I resonate with him in particular, because he has this, because he has a commitment to a cause. He is a cop. He is there to uh, protect the the helpless. You know, yeah. that's his role. And the way I would encapsulate this is, you probably would have asked me for my favourite moment in the film. Yes, um, I will be, and I'm going to tell you it now. <laughs> okay, because fair it ties to my favourite to why Vincent Hanna is my favourite character. Um, there is a point in the film where. Um, Vincent gets a call to a crime scene. Um, 
and he's in a restaurant. He's been dancing with his wife, Justine. The call comes through and he's on his mobile, big chunky mobile like they had in the mid 90s. Yeah. Justine moves out of shot as he gets the call. Then he arrives at the crime scene and it is a young woman, um, a 16, 17 year old um, prostitute who has been murdered and the body's been found. Yeah. And it's interesting because um, a lot of readings of the scene say that this is that the girl who's been murdered is the same girl who we saw in a few, couple of scenes earlier with um, the film's real villain, Wayne Grow. Yeah. Um, he says, you don't know what this is. Grim Reaper's visiting with you. And then he clearly kills her. Um, yeah. But if you look at the two scenes, actually know that the dead girl that Vincent comes to looks completely different. Yeah. To the one that Wayne Grow is with. It's Fair not enough. the same person. Um, but what's important about the scene where Vincent comes to the body is that the victim's mother and siblings have also been informed. They, as the um, as the crime scene investigator says, "Ah, oh, it's fucked up. Somebody called the family." Yeah. Uh, Vincent's like, "How the hell are they doing here?" And the mother tries to run towards the dead body. Says, "Where's my baby?" Vincent intercepts her, and he 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 kind of embraces her. Yeah. Um, and she's crying. She's very distraught. She tries to get past him a couple of times, but he always just catches her. Um, now, from an identity politics perspective, it's a bit problematic because what you've got here is this figure of the state, yeah. this authoritative white man um, <laughs> embracing this um, uh, working class black woman. Yeah. Uh, and it's practically saying, don't worry, uh, don't worry, black woman. Here's the white man to look after you. <laughs> Except, of course, he can't. He's, yeah. I mean, he, I mean, it, it, she's the girl's dead. He can't do anything about no, that. True. And this point, it never comes up in the film again. Um, no, in no. This particular sequence. We don't even know if, um, you know, maybe Wayne Grow murdered that girl, but yeah. we never find out. It's, it's never, never really, found out, no. no. Yeah. Um, and so we have, and then the mother is taken away, and Vincent is just left alone in the shot. The bereaved mother is taken away. She moves out of shot in the same way that Justine did. Yeah, and I found and that singular moment, that one shot of uh, Vincent standing there, looking completely drained, completely haggard. Um, yeah. It's like, what have I got left? And then he turns around and walks back towards the body. And that I think is such a beautiful encapsulation of yeah. where that figure stands on, right. literally on the line between the dead and the bereaved. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why he's my favorite character and. Mm -hmm. You know, Al Pacino gets a lot of stick for doing very kind of big performances. Yeah. Um, something I forgot to mention earlier. You asked me why I love the film. Yeah. Um, I love it because it's got a great ass. <laughs> and I got my head all the way up it. <laughs> if only I'd said that earlier. Um, but I think. <laughs> I'll edit it back while, in. <laughs> yeah. While, um, yeah, Pacino does, you know, he has a, he has a type of character, a type of performance that he yeah. sort of does that he's yeah. he's hired to do yeah um in much the same way jack nicholson would be hired to do absolutely yeah. yeah do the jack thing it's fine yeah. um but i think i mean obviously patino is capable of so much more we've seen him do you know far more quiet yeah. performances yes um but i think in the case of heat it works Le knowing that he was meant to be you know slightly high yeah, yeah. He's doing it all the time um, it's part of the way he operates, and, it, and there's yeah. actually, you know, professional reasons for it. Yeah. Um, in the scene I quoted just then, you know, great ass. Yeah. Um, which apparently, which Pacino did somewhat improvise. <laughs> um, 
well I don't know, that, yeah. not, not the lines but he improvised you know the way he was going to deliver it yeah um where he's being very big and over the top to intimidate um yeah. this other guy i mean he does it several times he intimidate he he interrogates suspects by being histrionic by being yeah. hyperbolic yeah. by being extremely al pacino yes <laughs> that's <laughs> um, what he does best <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah um and that's why he does it um so terribly well yeah um Vin, uh, Neil McCauley, played by Robert De Niro. The whole point about that is it's minimalist. Yes. He does it very um, contained, very controlled, um, and very menacing. And De Niro does menacing Absolutely, quietly yeah. very well. The scene yeah. where he talks to Moneylender, um, <clears throat> uh, Roger Van Zandt, played by William Fichtner, yeah. um, you know, he says into the phone, I'm talking to an empty telephone. Because there is a dead man on the other end of this fucking line. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah, yeah he's going to kill him. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But having said that, I one of the... Okay, I mentioned earlier I had a uh, problem with the film. Yeah, cool. And one of them, I have two problems with the film. One of them is there is a moment of very obvious green or blue screen. It's right. when Neil and Edie, played by Amy Brenneman, are on her balcony and the and, and the compositing there looks bad um it looks Something, really yes fake. yeah um there's a new 4k edition of heat out right. now which i'm yet to see maybe it's been fixed there i don't know be nice um Would, it? yeah yeah but the other thing that i think is wrong with the film is not really the film's fault it's part of its marketing and its reception that all the hubbub about the movie is over its two leads. Yeah. Um, I mean, I remember hearing someone say, oh, well, of course, Heat is a great film because they're two such amazing actors. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, uh, there's a lot of other people in it as well. <laughs> there is. And I think it's significant, yeah, that you, I could imagine Heat being made with different stars at the time. Um, you know, still have them as leads, but not necessarily... If it were made with different actors, they wouldn't, you know, it would be a very different film, I think. Mm, and I'm mm. not saying it would be better or worse, um, but it would be different. Um, but it would be interesting if it was more over, if it leaned in perhaps more into the network narrative kind of things, mm. because there's no like lead character in Magnolia, there's no true, lead character um, in Crash. Um, yeah. here's a weird comparison. There's no lead, there's no lead character in Love Actually. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, so let's just. Um, but yeah, it, even though Heat doesn't fully lead into that, I think it still shows that there's so many different characters that are so nicely, um, such great backgrounds, such uh, detailed stories. Um, that every every performance in that film, I think, is great because every actor has a lot to work with. There's a lot yeah. of character there. Yeah. Let's let's play with that idea of you just saying that what it would be like with different ones. I have done this a few times where I've gone, can we recast the film? So if you were and yeah. you've got your pick of every great actor out there, anyone at all, even ones that are unheard of or just up and coming now, who would you recast in those pivotal roles? So, you know, we'll start with Vincent. Who who could play that Pacino role in a different way? All right. Well, I guess the first question would be, I'd have to decide whether it's to be doing this now or doing it in the mid-90s. Anytime um, you like. You can set it. Okay. Fair We're making it tomorrow. We're going to remake Heat. But you can okay, digitally recreate any actor you like. 
<laughs> oh yes, of course. That was like the Irishman. Um, <laughs> exactly. Okay. Even though he's a bit young, if we could age him up a bit, actually, and we can, you know, we can, thinking yeah. about you know Russell Crowe in the in the Insider was nicely aged up. Yeah. I think for Vincent Hanna, go from the little Al Pacino to the very tall, previously mentioned Adam Driver. Ah. Yeah, yeah. I, I can see think that. that would work. You would have to age yeah. him up a little bit, but not not that much. I think yep, you could play that. Would. Yeah. Or in or we make the or you know, you could make Vincent a bit younger. Yeah. Um that could work as well. Mm-hmm. Um uh, uh actually tell you what though, had it been mid nineties, um, do bring together the two act two actors who would have starred together two years later, um, have John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. Ooh. <laughs> oh, which yeah. one would be Hannah and which would be um Macaulay then? I think keep them keep them effectively well, yes, okay, they swap roles in um, <laughs> face off. But I think, yeah, have it might be interesting to have Nicolas Cage as the criminal, as uh, Neil Macaulay. And because back then, you know, Cage would was somewhat more restrained back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit more. Um but yeah, if I'm trying to think of somebody more yeah. Role of um okay, fair enough. And to play uh, Neil McCauley, let's have Matt Dillon. Oh, maybe he's on my mind because I've been, we've been talking about Crash. Yeah, yeah. Um, or okay, and now here we go. Now I'm going in. I can spin <laughs> off. You, you start this, and it starts to spin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does Alternatives. Great. Um, okay, they've featured. They've played together previously in Prisoners, uh, in which one of them did play the cop, and I think he could play the cop again. Jake Gyllenhaal. Ooh, yeah. um, as Vincent yeah. and Hugh Jackman as Neil. Right. Yeah. Um, That's an interesting yeah. one. Or yeah. indeed, you know, get, get uh, stick with that and bring them in from um, Les Miserables, have Hugh Jackman as Vincent and Russell Crowe as Neil. <laughs> wow. Get, get the Aussies in there. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That would make it a very different film, I think. But yeah. It would. Yeah. Yes. But, okay. but yeah, if it had been, yeah, if it, Heat had been, say, remade, maybe. Um, ten, ten years ago, yeah, actually, yeah, ten years ago was the year of Les Miserables. Yeah, 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 yeah. Have, yeah, could have those two in there. Given Hollywood's um liking for remaking films, do you think this is a film that should ever be remade? Um, no, and <laughs> Fair I enough. don't, and I don't think it would be. <laughs> no, um, probably it doesn't right. have. I don't think it doesn't have sufficient sort of cultural. Um, cachet to make yeah. it worthwhile. Yeah. Um, then again, of course, you know, maybe there should be some sort of sequel in a different medium. Ooh, maybe some sort of book. Who knows? <laughs> you think they're writing it? <laughs> oh, you or don't has it know. Been There's been one written, is there? Yeah. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I missed Sorry, it. I thought I thought you knew. No, no. no. no there is a novel um, which Michael Mann has um, has written. It's yeah. called Heat Two, but right. it's Heat. Um, uh heat nineteen eighty five, I think, to twenty to two thousand. It's sort of right. it covers the events before and after. Ah, right. And I believe it um is also getting um a film adaptation. Right. Um, although that's not confirmed. But yes, right. there is a continue there is a for uh, beforehand and an afterwards of the um, um of, of the characters of Heat. So there's a there's a prequel and a sequel in one book. Combined into the same book, yes. Right, interesting. I'll I'll have to dig that out and see if I can see what I think of that. Maybe it'll make my um 
viewing of Heat differently if I watch it again. Well, let me ask you then, Go on, Gav. Then. What is it? That, why do you think Heat doesn't work for you? Because I, I, I don't expect anyone to like it the way I do. No, um, I, do you know what? I, I wonder why. I, I've I've put it on, like you say, I, I've watched it, I think, five times. And I did I did see it in the cinema when it was first out, way back in 95, or 96, rather. Um, and I left the cinema not feeling particularly enamoured. It was kind of like, yeah, that, that was an all right film sort of thing. Um, I've then watched it again since on video and then on DVD and just recently on, on streaming to try and get it. I, I find it very slow, um, which I always find a problem. When a film's got a running time of over two hours why make it slow? You know, uh, you could have cut it down to a, a nice sensible cut, a bit more speed to it, get to the point a bit quicker. Some of the elements of it, I just feel, as you're saying, the, the, the element with uh, Natalie Portman um, and her attempted suicide, it's, is it necessary? Is it something that we need in there? It adds a little bit to the characters, but you kind of think there's certain elements like that and I'm trying to think, there's a couple of other bits where you just think, do, do we do we need it to be there? Could we have just cut some of that stuff and just got on with the story, I suppose? And I guess there's also that thing of, it was sold to me as this massive movie of, it's Pacino and De Niro together, and I was hoping for more than I ever got from that. So maybe it's that, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you. Um, so when I saw this, I had seen Pacino and De Niro in many a gangster movie. And I guess I possibly was hoping for more of that gangster movie that I'd seen them in in the past. So I don't know. Maybe it's something like that. I'm not sure. Okay. Well, I think that's uh, those are all interesting points. It sounds as though, um, to from some extent, the the network narrative of it, the portrayal of a city, yeah, um, didn't necessarily work for you. No. Um, and you were, and perhaps you what what you want from it is a more focused crime film. Yeah. So let me ask you, have you seen Righteous Kill? I haven't seen Righteous Kill, I'll be okay. honest. I have heard Righteous, of it, but I haven't seen it. Yeah, because Righteous Kill is a movie where you've got Pacino and De Niro on screen together yep. a lot of the time because yep. they're playing cops, they are partners, you know, they're interacting the whole time. Yes. In my opinion, and also in many other opinions, it is a really damp squib of a movie. <laughs> It is yeah. also a far more focused, um, you know, specific um, <clears throat> uh, crime movie. The Righteous Kill is a far more straightforward crime movie with Pacino and De Niro together a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'd be interested to know, you know, check out Righteous Kill. I will it's do. not a film I recommend, <laughs> but I would, but I do think it would be interesting to get your response. Yeah, I, I will. Have a watch of it, and in a future episode, I'll mention how I feel about it. I'll maybe send you an email as well. <laughs> okay. But I will say, your description of um, Heat um, does sound familiar, because I had a similar response to The Irishman. The other one... Mine, mine was very similar as well. <laughs> yeah. The Irishman, I felt, was didn't make use of its length, and it is yep. longer than Heat, and mm. frankly, I found it boring. Yeah, um, I'll be honest, I watched The Irishman over three nights because I just couldn't sit and watch the whole thing. It, I watched it like a TV series, effectively. Which I think it would probably work better as. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. 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 Um, I actually watched The Irishman in cinema. 
Um, and, uh, yeah. and you know, I mean, I have no problem with long films. I mean, no, I don't either. Of, yeah, last week um, I watched um, I watched the uh, the Lord of the Rings: The Return of the King. Yeah, extended edition. Yeah, yeah. That's in the cinema. One. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've done like an all nighter of yeah, yeah. Um, the complete extended version of the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah. So I have no problem with long films, no, but I completely understand that they are not for everyone. And it's interesting what you say about Heat. The I think it is as long as it is and is deliberate. It's interesting, though. I wouldn't call any of it languorous, um, like, say, The Irishman or, mm. um, uh, say, 2001. Yeah, yeah. Earlier, or yeah. even something like There Will Be Blood. These yeah. are long, slow films that don't yeah, yeah. necessarily have a great deal of story. Yes. They are taking their time to be, you know, to do visuals and so on. Yeah. Whereas in the case of Heat, I think it's um it's that long because there are a lot of characters and a lot yeah. of plots and subplots and it's taking its time yeah. um to go through them. Although having said that, I do think that Heat has a slower pace than say magnolia yes uh, which is a bit longer and you know zips along at a ferocious pace yeah but then I, mean, I think that's down to the type of filmmaking at work there paul thomas anderson is someone who is doing a very kind of he's doing the whole point about that film is it's very whip uh, uh whip bangs um <clears throat> whip crack um yeah. type of um filmmaking whereas heat is um well it's more classical more uh, um, sort of 70s and eight uh, style of let's take our time to build up um this world these characters these different plot lines yeah you talk about this film incredibly incredibly passionately um to the point oh, that did that come across yes it did funny enough um <laughs> to the point that I, I am considering watching the film again um which is probably what you were trying to do from the start after i said i'm not really sure about it Warner um, Brothers, it worked. <laughs> um, so we've talked about your favourite scene. Mm-hmm. We've got your favourite scene. Uh, we know that Pacino's possibly your favourite, or that the character you resonate most with yep. because of that scene. Is there a favourite line? Is there a line of dialogue? I mean, you've done a few already, but is the one that's just one. like, that's the one? Yeah. Um yeah, I mean, just I mean, there are there are so many great scenes in the oh, movie. The yeah. the gun battle in the streets is one of the greatest gunfights ever committed to film, um, and the final chase through LAX, um, the the finale of the film, yeah. um, is phenomenal. But yeah, there is a line, and it comes actually right after the favorite scene. Right. So after Vincent has, um, you know, not as pretty much has failed to offer any real comfort or solace. He comes back to the uh, restaurant where Justine is waiting for him. Um, and they have, you know, she effectively says, you know, you are a terrible husband, which he is. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and then, and then, and well, and he, ex- he essentially explains his whole life philosophy, which is, I got all on my angst. I preserve it because I need it. it. Keeps me sharp on the edge where I gotta be. And I dig that even while I realize that is so problematic. And I realize it more <laughs> as I've got older. I don't, you know, see it as the as a um as this, you know, tremendously committed 
um, individuals so much. I see yeah. it as like, okay, that's there are problems with that, dude. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is another reason, I think, why I find this film so rich is that not only do I, as I said, I go back to it and I spot different things, um, different bits of production design yeah. or different particular cuts um, within the editing, but I also, as I, the film has aged very well. It's aged with, but it's also aged with me. Right. So, you know, I saw it as a teenager. It took me through my 20s. Yeah. And now that I'm in my 40s, I can appreciate it on another level. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I was going to ask you. How, how do you think it's aged? Do you think it, it still works as a film? It, are there elements of it that are just don't fit in today's philosophies of how things should be? <laughs> um, I think it's aged very well. Nothing dates a film more than technology, yeah. I think. And okay, you can tell by looking at the technology that there are maybe two mobile phones yeah. in the whole film, um, and they are held by you know. Interestingly, it's only I think um, Vincent and Neil who have them. Yeah. Um, that's and they look like phones of the mid nineties. Yeah. But that's fine. Yeah. Um, thematically, philosophically, um, psychologically, philosophically, I think all of the ideas that are in Heat continue to be relevant continue to be resonant continue to be significant and i think the film is also it stays fresh um it still doesn't feel dated um and it doesn't feel um out of time whereas and you know and you know i'm not necessarily going to say that i think of films other films that do um i think every movie you know is of its time but depending on what it's about um, then I think if it, even if certain stylistic choices wouldn't be made later on, um, I mean, man himself, his style has developed. He's, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, his, um, he is, he was one of the first filmmakers to embrace digital filmmaking yeah. um, in the early noughties. Um, and the style of Miami Vice, Public Enemies, mm-hmm. Black Hat is quite different from that of Heat. It's, it's mm-hmm. much more frenetic, much more, um, uh, um it's much less uh grounded if you like but yeah. i think that um that still gives um that gives heat you know a, a gravitas that means it still works it's still sustained and i think because of its thematics because of its meanings and so on that and the and in terms of whether its topics feel relevant today ideas of toxic masculinity mm. of rampant capitalism mm. Um, of um, social inequality. Mm. I mean, if anything, Heat was ahead of its time in putting yeah. those on the screen. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's far from the only film to do that, but I think what it has to present about these um, remain highly relevant. And anyone, and you know, uh, next time I get to teach a uh, film studies course, I will find a way to put Heat on it. <laughs> and why not? Why not? You may as well talk about something you're passionate about, I must admit. Totally. Yeah. Um, okay, then. It's the question I ask at the end of every episode, which is to try and sell the film for me in 30 seconds. But I'm I'm just adjusting it slightly because I still don't know if I like this film or not. I want you to sell it specifically to me in about 30 seconds to make me go and watch this film again. Certainly. You should give Heat another look. And when you watch it, Watch it as a crystalline assembly of the cinematic form where every element 
is harmonized within a sweeping contemporary existential tragedy of commitment and contingency. Wow. You used lots and lots of big words. <laughs> well, that's the beauty of a recording. You can, you know, it's a man can say, right, so I've got to look for this and this and this and this and this, you know? Yeah. Brilliant. And now, can you sell it in 30 seconds for a layman? Hmm. Uh, okay. <laughs> for a layman, um, you should watch Heat because it's a crystalline assembly. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> watch Heat as a blistering and enthralling crime thriller that shows the pun that, that conveys the pungency of the street, the cordite of the gun battles, and the deep sadness of those trapped within it. Wow. Wow. I, both of those readings make me actually want to go and have another try. And I think I will. I will have another try and I will let you know how it went. Um, thank you for that. It's been great. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about with Heat? I'm sure you could talk about it for another six hours probably if I if I let you. But is there anything else that you wanted to say about it that you think just we just haven't touched on this and I really need to say X? Ah. Or are you all right? <laughs> I th I do think it's um I will use it as an instance to uh to champion so many of the different people who work on movies. Yeah. Yes, we've talked about Michael Mann, yes, yeah. we've talked about the cast, um, but I think it's important to note that Dion Beebe's um uh cinematography is absolutely yeah. sublime. Um the editing is superb, the sound design extraordinary. I mentioned the um <clears throat> uh gun battle earlier. One of the things that makes that scene electrifying is the um is the sound of yeah. the gunshots going on in the concrete yeah. canyons you caught it live wasn't it the, the gunshots that's that, which right is something they don't normally do in film but you found some right. kind of way of recording it didn't you yeah. yeah um and i think the uh, the score um the score by elliot goldenthal yeah. um is breathtaking um oh apologies i got the name of the cinematographer wrong it's dante spinotti um cool. the um <clears throat> cinematographer um and also just as well as the score also the soundtrack it's got if you um are looking for an interesting soundtrack on spotify um or apple music then find the soundtrack of heat it's um it's, it's there's a lot of great orchestra orchestral moments yeah. and a lot of great um musical pieces one of my absolute number one pieces of music is moby's god moving over the face of the waters which plays um over the end credits yeah um yeah. And if you, I mean, yes, I could talk about this movie indefinitely, but I will say there is someone else who's spoken about this even more than me. There is a podcast called One Heat Minute yeah. run by Blake Howard. Um, and uh, this podcast actually goes through heat with each episode devoted to one minute wow. of the film. How many so, episodes uh, are there so far? Oh, it's all been done. This He's was, done all 219. This is a few years ago. Right. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, there's uh, well, there's 168 episodes. Wow, wow, so, yeah, wow, that's impressive. <laughs> um, where can people find you out there in the big wide world? More of your writings and teachings and whatever else. Well, um, you could try to find me, but if you do, then I'm just gonna you know walk out on 30 seconds flat. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but you will find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Um, at Dr. Gain, that's D-R-G-A-I-N-E. Um, from Twitter, I post links to my reviews for The Geek Show and Bloody Good Screen and The Critical Movie Critics. 
And please also, speaking of podcasts, check out Invasion of the Poddy People, where myself, James Rodriguez, and Russell Bailey um, uh, talk about um, movies that that are in public consciousness. We talk about um, issues in film. We talk about news, and we offer recommendations. Yep. Um, I am the third of the potty people to have appeared on here. You are indeed. Um, yes, we mentioned James. Russell came on also to talk about Jurassic Park. Yeah. So, yeah, you can listen to James, Russell and Vincent nattering on um, Invasion of the Potty People. And a very do. good podcast it is. Oh, thank you, sir. Oh. Pleasure. It's <laughs> been lovely to talk to you. Thank you very much. And, um, well, I'll see you around this big world some other time, I'm sure. Maybe. But I told you, I'm never going back. <laughs> Thank you. With this guy, there's more cheap you should pass. The bank is worth the risk. We should take it down. 12.2 million. You're up. This crew is good. Thank you so much for coming on the show again, Vincent. Uh, next time on the show, we are going to be talking to Andrew Connor from the Road to Nowhere podcast. He's talking about the film Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Here's his trailer for that film. Eleven years after the events of a 1984 slasher, a young boy is given a toy robot by himself from the future to basically run about and blow things up. I would pay money to watch that. And that's next time on the show. That's it for this time. We'll see you again next time. Bye-bye for now. Finally, thanks to Acast for hosting the website and to Max Smith for the theme tune composition. To get in touch with the podcast, remember that website is www.myfavoritefilm.com.